Hey guys, this is Naeem and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you and enjoy. here at Mosaic. My name is Kristen. Welcome, welcome. So excited to have you guys with us this morning. Uh, Pastor Naeem is actually in Ohio today, and so he asked me to start this series. He's in Ohio talking to a church there about, basically about you guys, about what it looks like to be a diverse church and kind of how we make this work here. So I'm not sure if it was a good idea for me to start this series besides my like semi-awful rapping that I just did. Um, It is a series on money, but you're already here, so (laughs) sorry, you're already here. Uh, It's going to be good. It's going to be good. We're going to have fun. We're going to have fun with it. However, I wouldn't consider myself like a money person. I wouldn't say that I'm like your financial girl. I don't know what accounting means. I don't do taxes. Like we file our taxes. Peter does our taxes. I just don't do the taxes. I don't look at my bank account, like any of this stuff. I'm just like, hey, Peter, do we have money? Can I buy this thing? Yay. Okay, great. Perfect. I like to spend. Okay, that's, that's my connection with money. How many of you would consider yourselves good with money? You're like the money person maybe of the family? Okay. And how many of you are not that person? Hey, I just got to know where my people are. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. See, it's not, it's not our fault. It's not our fault that we like things, right? We just like things. We like to have things. Some things it's easy to say no to, like Crocs. You should all be saying no to Crocs. Please stop. It's easy to say no to tea when there is coffee, right? Certain things like are not tempting at all. I'm going to have to bring some of you back around to my side here in a second. I'm going to work on it. But there are other things that have so much apparent value that we can't help but want to spend our money on them. They're worth saving for. They're worth, worth investing in. But I want to give you a warning, actually, about saving, because I believe that saving is dangerous, okay? This has happened to me on more than one occasion, where when I want something, I'm a little bougie. It's fine. I know. And when I want to buy something, I want to buy something extravagant. So I collect gift cards. 
I collect gift cards and I hold on to them until I have enough money, until I can get the very bougie, extravagant thing that I want. But what has happened to me before is that my gift card ends up being worth $0. Has anybody had a gift card that loses its value? Not because like it diminishes, not because you've had it for so long and now you've lost like $1.75. I'm talking the store closed. And you had to get, y'all, the number of times I have done this is embarrassing. Like, so embarrassing. I'm talking collected money and money and money and all of these things. And I didn't have enough yet and I didn't have enough. So I needed to hang on. And next thing I know, the store is out of business. And I'm like, well, that $100 is just gone. Sometimes I accidentally do it. Like, you know, if you return a wedding, a wedding present to a store that you don't really shop at, and so that gift card just kind of sits there. Not your wedding present, by the way, if you came to our wedding. We, it's our favorite one. It's sitting on our mantle right now. That, it was somebody else's gift. And sometimes it's because I just don't have enough, and I just have to wait until I get more and more and more and more. So my new plan now is that I actually just hoard cash. So Christmas, birthdays, pastor appreciation, I will just take it in cold hard cash, and that is what I now have stash and hoarded around. By the way, this is a really fun game to play with yourself if you have never done this before. When you go to put your coat away, or like a purse, ladies, for a new what season, you, what you're trying to do? just stick like a little fiver in there, and you'll be like, oh, future me is going to be so excited when she sees this. And it's true. I'm getting ready to go get a coat out of my coat closet, you know, as the weather's coming down, getting cooler, and I'm already excited about what past Kristen has left in there for future Kristen. <laughs> it is a very fun game to play. It's a very fun game. I do have to admit, though, I have a tendency to hoard one more thing. It is not shoes, that is a collection. <laughs> it is actually tissues. Watch this. What are you trying to do? Put this in my arm. Why? Because I want to put it in my arm. Because that's where mommy's is? Here, stick it in there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, that is my Margot, and this is the problem with hoarding things. Guys, especially if you're a parent, if there are other people, they are learning, they are watching from you, and I have a tissue hoarding problem. I have them everywhere. I have them in uh, up my sleeve, generally, not right now, because it's too loose. I tried it, it wouldn't stay. I have them in my coat pockets, they're in my car, they're in my backpack. If you're in a conversation with me, all of a sudden I will whip it out like a magician. You're like, where did that even come from? Don't worry about it. I've got them everywhere, everywhere. There are two reasons why. Number one, I have like a chronic runny nose. It has happened for eight years since I got pregnant and had my first child. I do not know the correlation, I just know that's a fact. The second thing is that I have a condition called boogie paranoia. <laughs> and what this means is I am terrified because of said chronic runny nose that I'm going to have something hanging out of my face. So if you're talking to me in a conversation and you look down, I already, I already think it's there. I already think something is coming out of my nose, so I just have to have the tissue on the ready. And I cannot be the only one. I cannot be the only one that collects things. Now, I'm sure I may be the only one in the room that hoards Kleenexes. But what is it for you? Is it gift cards? Is it money? Is it your time? Is it your energy? Is it your emotions? Is it your finances? Is it your resources? See, scripture actually tells us why this matters. It says that we can gain the whole entire world and lose our souls. 
And that's why it's so important that we talk about the things that we hold on to. See, in this context, in that verse, Jesus was talking about a particular thing. He was actually talking to his disciples and he was predicting his upcoming death. But the principle is still the same. The principle still is that we need to have God's perspective, not the world's perspective. The Passion Translation says it like this. It's in Matthew 16. For even if you were to gain all the wealth and power of this world at the cost of your own life, what good would that be? And what could be more valuable to you than your own soul? See, he's warning us and he's saying, the world will tell you, hold, gain, earn, collect, grab on, hang on, have it all. But is it worth the cost? A yes to something is always a no to something else. A yes to something is always a no to something else. Have you ever held on to something for so long that it cost you part of who you were? Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe you held on to a relationship for longer than you knew you probably should have, and it cost you part of your heart. Or maybe on the flip side, you have held on so tightly to your emotions, not letting anybody in, not sharing them with anybody else, just building up a wall and keeping them in so close and so tight that it's cost you other relationships with other people. Maybe for some of you, you're holding on to an identity because other people have told you this is who you need to be because it makes everybody else's life easier. This is who you should be. This is the role that we want you to play. This is what we expect you to be. And you've held on to that as your identity. And what happens is then you actually lose the sense of who you really are and who God has created you to be. See, sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes we just start collecting things slowly over time and we don't even realize that we're doing it. But sometimes it's obvious. And in the moment, we still choose to collect and gather. Why? Why do we do this? Do you remember that TV show, Hoarders? Anybody remember the TV show, Hoarders? Where people just collected things, right? Like, I know this is an extreme example where to the point they couldn't get out of their house like it literally interfered with all of their daily living, their day-to-day -day life. That is a very extreme example, obviously, but I also think it's an illustration of what some of us are doing in our lives. Maybe not in quantity, but still in the, in the way that we collect things. And whatever it is that you're collecting, the reason is still the same. See, when collecting becomes an addiction like that, when it becomes big enough and um, powerful enough to be called hoarding, when it becomes part of your daily life or a habit that you can't get out of, the reason why we hold on to things changes. It's no longer about the actual value of the item, but now it's about a perceived need. It's something within you that is telling you, you have got to hold on to this. You need to have this. You need to keep this. You need to save this. It's not an actual need. You don't actually need it. You don't use it in your daily life but something within you says, hang on to this. There are four reasons why, because I'm a researcher, I'm a learner, I love psychology, so I looked up the four reasons why people tend to hoard or collect things. And I think they can also apply to us. The first one is that people collect things to kind of create a sense of happiness for themselves. 
So we all do this, right? A lot of us probably have an item that ties us back and helps us remember a person maybe that's no longer with us, or it gives us a connection to a happier past time. Sometimes we just grab things, we just get things because we like them, right? How many of us have ever upgraded our phone, gotten the new iPhone just because we wanted it because we needed it? Not because there was anything wrong, no Android. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> Either way, still applies, still applies. But we do this, right? We're like, this is the new thing. Mine works just fine, but now there's a new one. Now there's a pink one. Now there's a gold one. I want to do this. I want to get it because it makes me happy. But really what happens is buying things to create your own happiness is a coping mechanism. And what it does is it tricks you into saying, it's okay. You don't have to face that thing, whatever it is. You don't have to face the hurt or the pain or the trauma. You had a bad day, go buy that latte, ice cream, glass of wine, new car, whatever it is. <laughs> we buy things as a coping mechanism to trick ourselves into believing that it's okay that we're not going to face what's in front of us. This says to us, if you have this, you'll be happy, so just buy it. The second reason people collect things is out of a scarcity mentality. And what happens here is that we assign a value to a thing. We assign a value and then let that value dictate how valuable and how worthy it is, how, how tightly we need to hold onto it. Anybody remember Beanie Babies? Okay? In my house, we had Beanie Babies, but also it was holiday Barbies. Every single year, my sister and I would get these holiday Barbies, and it was the most gorgeous, beautiful Barbie they had put out all year. She had the fanciest dress and the best makeup and all of the things, and we were never allowed to open them because one day they would be worth so much money. One day they're still sitting in my mom's closet. <laughs> but this is scarcity mentality, right? This is hold on to it because a, a, later on, this value will be worth so much more. So it looks like that. It looks like buying things. You cannot pass up a good deal. I don't need it, but I'm going to get it. I don't need three of them, but I'm going to buy three anyway, because did you see the price? We just have to make sure we're getting the best value. If you don't buy this, somebody else will, and then there won't be any left for you. Scarcity mentality says the more you have, the more you can get out of it. So just get more. Third reason people collect is out of fear. There's a fear of being wrong. There's a fear of making a mistake. Sometimes people hold on to things because they're so paralyzed by the decision of what to do with it. I don't know how to organize this. I don't know if I should get rid of this one or this one or this one or all of these. So I'm just gonna keep all of them because I'm so afraid that I'm gonna make a mistake. And it could be tied back to that last one of what if I get rid of something that later down the road is gonna have worth or value. This looks like FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. Missing out on the potential of what could be if only we could get it right. Fear says you will miss out and you won't get any if you're wrong or if you make a mistake. So just keep all of it. The last reason, the fourth reason that people collect things is out of a need for safety. People who feel like they have been deprived or depraved or neglected and they weren't taken care of, they want to fix this. They want to take care of it. And so they collect things because it gives them a false sense of control. Think about when COVID first started. What was gone everywhere? 
toilet paper. Toilet paper. Lysol wipes. What was that? Kleenex. That was the backup toilet paper. That one second. Paper towels, probably third. Okay, we're going to stop. We're not going to go any further. Right? Lysol wipes, hand sanitizer, all of these things that people collected, not because they needed 55 pounds of toilet paper, but because they were like, I'm only thinking about me and what I need, and I'm not worried about you, and I'm not concerned about you, and you're going to have to figure it out on your own, but as for me and my family, we need to have lots of backup toilet paper. And it creates a false sense of control and safety. We see the same thing happen when there's a storm or hurricanes, right? People go to the store, and they collect stuff. They collect bread and milk. Guys, those are the two worst things to collect, by the way. I'm like, Oreos, wine, sun chips, coffee, I'm like, and all the other things that you guys leave up in those aisles, okay? <laughs> but we see this happen. It happens all the time. This says, what happened to you before can't happen to you again because now you're prepared. So have as much as possible. See, right now, I think that we are all trying to hold on to things because every time we turn around, it feels like something else is being taken away. Someone else is being taken away. And the world will tell us, take it all. Get it, grab it, hold on. You have finally arrived. You're finally making the money that you are worth. You are finally making your value. People are finally seeing who you are and they're paying you accordingly. You're finally living the life that you have wanted to live for so long. So you do what you want with it. Take it, spend it, have it all. But it always costs something. Having it all always costs something. And Jesus reminds us that this is personal because what we collect is connected to our hearts. And Matthew 6, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is your heart? Where is your heart? When I was growing up, I remember hearing that there are two places that you can look if you want to know what someone cares about and where their priorities are. It's their calendar and their checkbook. Now, children, a checkbook is a notebook <laughs> that your parents used to carry around and write down every purchase that they made, every deposit that they made when they physically drove themselves to the bank building, gave them money. There was no app. There was no internet to look it up. It was dark days. It was reliant upon our own math, which is why those of us not good with money often over overdrew our accounts, right? <laughs> But your treasure doesn't only mean materialistic things. It doesn't only mean piles of stuff. Where are you giving your time and where are you giving your money? That's where your heart is. Is it linked to what you want it to be linked to? Or is it not linked to what you hope your heart would be linked to? Maybe if that's the case, God is calling you to make a change. I used to be a teacher. I was a teacher for a long time. And when I started, there was, it was no money, okay? There was no money as a single girl sharing an apartment with two other single girls, also first-year teachers. We were, like, making it happen, but we were broke. Like, eat green beans out of a can for dinner kind of broke. Maybe once, only once. It was really gross. So then we, like, did switch to microwave popcorn and box wine. Um, but, you know, still, we weren't in it for the money. We didn't do it for the money. That's the phrase that we learned when we were in college to become teachers. We're not in it for the money. 
but we did it because we loved it. I taught because I loved it and my heart was in it. But then eventually, I was like, you know, I'm pretty good at this. I'm pretty good at my job. I feel like I should be able to make more money. So I went back to school and I got my master's and I got a pay raise and it was awesome. And I was like, hmm, okay, now I can do this other thing. There's something called national board certification for teachers. I went and got that too, second pay raise. Then I was like, okay, now I have money for groceries. I'm still gonna spend it on shoes and clothes, but I have money for groceries if I want it. And then all of a sudden it started to change. And I was like, I wonder what I could do next. Maybe I should become a principal. Maybe I should go administrative route. Maybe I should become a consultant. But I couldn't do it because I couldn't leave the kids. That's where my heart was. Eventually, I did have to leave teaching, even before God called me into ministry where all the big money is. <laughs> I couldn't even say that with a straight face, oh my gosh. I did have to leave teaching because my personal environment education changed, my environment, I, whoop, my environment changed, and it just became very toxic for me. I didn't like what I was doing. I didn't like what I was having to do to the kids. I didn't like who I was when I was there. But I stayed longer than I should have because of that salary and all of that money and effort that I had put into to making a bigger salary than what most of the other teachers around me were making. In the process, my heart became broken because it was no longer in education, but I was just staying for the money. At the end of the day, if you have money but you hate what you do or who you are, is it worth it? Your heart will feel the effects of the transfer. And mine certainly did. Maybe right now you're facing that choice or you're trying not to face that choice between doing what you love and doing what will give you more money and more stuff. Or maybe you're facing the choice between doing what you think you love and what you really want to be doing, who God has really called you to be. Maybe you need to chase passion instead of prosperity. Maybe you should trust what God is putting on your heart and don't worry about the details, just knowing that he is going to figure it all out. I know it's, it's not easy. <laughs> mo money, mo problems, right? I know. But God wants us to be intentional with where we are storing up treasure because it determines where our hearts will end up. Let's go back to Matthew 6. And he says, do not store up for yourselves. Don't collect, don't hoard. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Jesus is saying, if your treasure and everything that you're collecting is here and you're keeping it for yourself, it's the wrong kind of treasure. It's gonna lose its value. It's gonna rot. It's gonna be taken away from you. And then when your heart is linked to that, your heart will be broken. Store up, invest in the things of heaven. How do we do that, right? How do we store up treasures in heaven? Do we start doing good things, being better people, reading your Bible? No. Those are all good, but they're not going to help us store up treasures in heaven. We have to use our time, our energy, our resources, our finances to invest in things that will last. 
We have to be intentional about investing in people and the church that is carrying out the mission of expanding the kingdom of God. How many of you are familiar with Paul in the Bible? He's a pretty popular guy, right? I would say after Jesus, he's probably the most influential, most successful people that Christianity can lay a claim to. Because what happened was Paul, who used to persecute and kill Christians, after his conversion, he took his mission in his life very, very seriously. And he wanted the entire world, not just the Jews, but the entire world to know about Jesus. And there are so many stories in the Bible of people who came to know Christ because of Paul. I would say that still today, there are people, maybe you're one of them, who can say, hey, actually because of Paul, because of what I read in the New Testament, because of what he said, I know Jesus better today. I mean, that is an influential life. Paul was also known for his letters, for those things that he wrote in the New Testament. If you've ever read Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Corinthians, these are all letters that Paul was writing essentially to local churches, to people that supported him while he was out in his ministry. And you can do the Google and you can find all kinds of names of people that Paul thanked that made his success possible. I'm going to give you just a couple of examples. They're not going to be on the screen because I'm going to have to fly through them real fast. Okay, he thanks in Romans 16, he thanks people for being the church in their communities. He thanks Priscilla and Aquila for using their home for ministry, for risking their lives for the cause. He thanks so many ladies, which I did not, this was not taught to me growing up. Read the Bible to your kids and put these women's names in there, okay? He thinks Mary, Persis, Trophina, Trifosa, women, he says, who work very hard for you and the Lord. He encourages them when he writes these letters to support other people like Phoebe, female deacon, who is doing the same thing that he was. One of my favorite letters is in Philippians because you can really see Paul's heart for people. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. How sweet is that, right? It is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. God knows how much I love you and long for you, get this, with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I don't know that anyone has ever said to me, I love you like Jesus loves you. Paul was passionate. He was passionate about his life, and he was passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus, because when he saw lives transformed, that was his treasure. When he saw people's hearts connecting to Christ, that's where his heart was. He invested in people because he loved them like Jesus loved them, and he also thanked them for financially supporting him. Here's another verse in Philippians. You probably have heard this where Paul says, I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. And people like to use this verse to illustrate all different kinds of things. But what you might not know is that this is actually smack in the middle of Paul thanking this church for financially supporting him. That's what this is in the middle of. I know it sounds very good like, oh, I don't need, I'm fine. No, he's actually thanking them for the support that they sent him so that he can do what he needs to do. And he's saying, I don't need any more right now, but I've been able to do everything that I'm doing. I've been able to do all of this because you continually support me financially. See, these churches and these people believed in what Paul was doing so much that they wanted to play a part. 
They wanted to play their part, and it didn't matter that they were behind the scenes funding because they knew that it was, what they were doing was just as important as what Paul was doing in his evangelism publicly away from them. And it makes me wonder, if Paul was writing a letter to us, would he say the same thing? Would our names be listed in the names of all of the other people that he's thanking, who supported him, who made his ministry possible? Would he thank us for intentionally storing up treasures in heaven with our gifts? Would he thank us for supporting our church and allowing Mosaic to expand the kingdom of God? See, it's easier to go for the better story. All these people came to Christ because of what Paul was doing. He went to the ends of the earth to find them. Sounds a lot more compelling than all of these people came to Christ because an anonymous group of people who would never be named behind the scenes financially supported him on the regular. But that is exactly how Paul's ministry happened. That's it. And sometimes I think we do this too. We give right? We give, but we prefer outreach. We want that instant gratification. We want to see our money immediately knowing like, what is this doing and who is it helping? Because then we feel better about ourselves. And it's not bad. It's not bad. But there's a difference between giving to causes and giving to the church. We actually see this picture in the Gospels in John 12. It says, six days before the Passover celebration began, This is leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. This has just happened. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, probably because that's the least you can do when someone brings you back to life after you've been dead for four days. (laughs) And Martha, his sister, served. And Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary, his other sister, took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. Now, let me tell you real quick about this expensive perfume, this nard that Mary takes, this oil, okay? It comes from a plant that is only grown in the Himalayan mountains of India and Nepal. This is not common. This is not Chanel number five, all right? This is rare. The fact that she has it already is special. And note, she has 12 ounces of it. This is a tall pumpkin spice latte worth of oil, okay? Diet Dr. Pepper can a beer bottle, whatever you need to do, picture it in your mind. This is how much oil Mary has. And she takes all of that and she anoints Jesus' feet. Now, in, the, in that day, at the time, it was common for people, especially a guest, to have their feet washed. It was usually by a slave, okay? But it was common for them to come in and have their feet washed. If they were special, they might have had their feet anointed with a drop of oil, and here is Mary, Mary taking this entire tall latte's worth of oil, pouring it all over him. It's going everywhere to the fact that she has to let her hair down and start using her hair to wipe up the excess because it is just running all over. In verse 4, Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. 
<laughs> I love, John's like, I'm going to get a juke in right here. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. John's like, hey, remember, this guy's not great, okay? But I think it's, it's well, if we listen to what Judas is saying, it was a year's worth of oil. So now we're going to break this down real quick, all right? A laborer's daily wage, worker's wage back then was a denarii, one, one denarii. So if we account for the Sabbath, we know they were not allowed to work on the Sabbath. Let's throw in some religious holidays there. Let's just call it 300, right? 300 of the 365 days of the year. So hypothetically, if they were going to make $10 an hour, which is not a ton, for an eight-hour day and do that for 300 days, that's Starbucks worth of oil, costed $24,000, $24,000. No wonder Judas is like, what did you just do? Do you know all of the good that could have been done with that? Do you know how much we could have done in the community? We could have fed 7,500 people if you would have sold it, but instead you wasted it. It's hard to be mad at Judas when we see it like that, which is probably why John reminds us <laughs> that he was a thief and he would have taken some of that money for himself. But Jesus replies in verse 7, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus is not saying don't give to the poor. He's saying, that's good too, but this is different. I am different. Investing in me is different. See, there's a difference between tithes and offerings, and you might have heard of these two churchy words before. A tithe is essentially 10% of your income. It's a percentage. It's traditionally 10%, and in a lot of places, actually, believe it or not, in different times or different places of the world, it's required. You don't have a choice, and the government is going to take your tithe and give it to the church whether you like it or not. That is not the case here. An offering is everything else. So if you give to a mission trip, if you give to a building project, if you give to organizations to help foster kids or the homeless or the sick, if you give on your way out of the church service because you were moved or it spoke to you or you just happen to have some cash in your pocket, none of those are tithes. All of those our offerings. And Jesus, Jesus is telling Judas, there is a difference. Know where your treasure is and don't make it here where it will fade away. Giving to other things is fine, but I am first. Invest in me first. And I think this is a challenge for us as well, because at some point we have to ask ourselves, am I really using my resources to fund the mission of the church? Am I using my resources to invest in treasures of heaven? Am I investing in things that will last instead of collecting and hoarding? Am I investing in relationships and in people and connecting their relationship for that person to God? Because that is something that can never be taken away or destroyed. Are we using our resources to fund the church and expand the kingdom of God? I want to say thank you real quick to those of you who consistently do give. I know that there are some of you, and we as a staff are so extremely grateful. But see, you might not know 
that that money does so much more than these Sunday services. Shout out to my live stream crew. You guys are here. We get to provide the service for you because of the consistent tithes that come in that help us and allow us to provide this service. They get to take the message of Jesus, not just to Charlotte or even the United States, but all over the world. Our building, this building, we, has always been our plan to have this be a place for the community. We want to use it as a tool and a resource, not just for us, but for all kinds of people. Do you know that this building is used so often that we can't even office here as staff anymore? There's a school that meets in here every single day of the week. There are other churches that use this space, and we're able to provide this space for them. As new church plants are coming up and saying, hey, I just need a place to gather. We need a place to have our launch team so that we can go out and also join the mission of expanding the kingdom of God. There are tutoring programs and recovery programs. ICU Talks, which is our mental health speaking ministry, has its home here. People get to come into this space and find freedom and chains broken because we get to allow them to come in. So many people come here not just on a Sunday to find hope and to find Jesus. See, we want the money that you give to Mosaic not to be collected for us, but to go out to the world so that we can be the church that is here for the world. So for those of you that consistently give, we thank you. You allow us to plan and do all of these things. And Pastor Mike would be mad at me if I didn't say, and if you are not one of those people <laughs> and you would like to start that today, you absolutely can. And if you have questions, if you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. I don't have my resources in order. I'm not a financial person. I don't know how. There are people that can help you. We will help you or we will help connect you to someone who actually does know more about money than we do. So remember that passion that Paul had, the way that he loved people in his local churches. He was so good at encouraging and thanking them, but he also loved them enough to challenge them. In 2 Corinthians, we've got another letter to a church in Corinth, and he just tells them straight out, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. He's saying, listen, don't give because I'm telling you to. Don't give because I'm telling you what to do. But flipped the script. Start to look at giving differently. Start to look, look at living a generous life differently. And see giving as a response to what Jesus has done for you. If Jesus has changed your life, if he has done something in your life, give out of response to that. If you love people or you want to love people like Jesus does, give out of response to that. He says, complete your Christian living, all of these other things that you're so great at doing by adding generosity to the list. Verse 10, 
Here is my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. Now, you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning by matched, be matched now by your giving. He's saying, don't go 90% of the way and stop short. Finish what you started. Live this out. Yes, have faith. Yes, build your knowledge. Yes, keep your enthusiasm. Yes, keep loving people. But also give to the church and support the ministry that is expanding the kingdom of God. Remember, the reason that we hoard, the reason that we collect is out of a perceived need. It's not a real need. So what is the perceived need that is causing you to save and hold on? I want to pray for us, and my prayer is going to be two things. Number one, that God would show us what it is that we're holding on to, and secondly, that he would show us where he wants us to invest in what we have. Will you stand while I pray for us? God, we thank you so much just for the way that you love us, God, for the way that um, your love is strong and powerful and encouraging, God, but it's also challenging and convicting. Lord, and I, I just thank you for your heart and your spirit. God, that you won't let us just kind of sit by the wayside and do the bare minimum. God, I thank you for anybody who feels a stirring in their spirit or their soul, God, not because of anything that I've said, Lord, but because of what you were already doing in their hearts before they even heard this message. God, show us where we're holding and collecting. Show us what we have a tight grasp on and help us to let go. And God, show us, whether it's Mosaic, another church, God, show us the place where you want us to invest in your kingdom. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more audio and video content, visit us at mosaicchurch.tv.